0: Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 125 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. My name is Barbara. How you doing, partner? I'm doing well. The question is, how are you, Barb? Last week, you told us you were getting tested for COVID.
1: Yeah, so a big update. So my sister did test positive, so she's actually been home going on two weeks.
0: Mm-hmm. How she feel?
1: Uh, she feels pretty good. She had a little bit of a cold and a little bit of being tired. Other than that, she's gotten through it really well, thank God. Right before she came down with it, we went to dinner with myself and my parents. So um, we were a little concerned, especially about my mom and my dad. So we all went and got tested and we all came back negative. So that was a really huge. And uh, as well as her husband, just kind of wonder, you know, when you hear in the news about one person having it and, you know, people around them picking it up so easily, not so sure about, you know, some of it because her husband, who she lives with, doesn't have it. My mom doesn't have it. My dad doesn't have it and I don't have it. So definitely counting our blessings. Night Dental, we're clean here as well, so I'm uh, good to go.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's pretty amazing how that works out. I thought if one person got in a house, you're basically, the whole house is screwed. That's how I (laughs) thought it worked. I know. Uh, I mean, it's a good thing. I'm glad she's feeling better, and I'm certainly glad you came up negative.
1: Yeah, and she actually had to get retested to come back to work, so she actually got her test results today, and she's negative, so she'll probably be coming back Monday, which is a good thing. Yeah, We're fumigating and disinfecting nightly and, you know, staying six feet apart as best we can in a laboratory. And so far our lab is clean. So like I said, count your blessings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a good test to fail, I'll say. Yeah,
1: no doubt. As soon as um, she got sick, we got her out of here. Fortunately, she works in the very back of the lab. So we had to... Send a couple other people home with her and they both tested negative as well. But again, you know, you wait on the test results and you're down a week or two. So it's been very difficult to say the least to get the work done in that department, but they were all negative. So they're all back now, except for her. And she pulls in on Monday.
0: Nice. Nice. Right back up into speed. It's good to hear. You know, you wonder how much is hitting dental labs and how much are shutting down in departments. You just don't hear about it. I don't, at least, which is good. Yep, exactly. But then again, we've always been a clean facility and a clean industry. So mm-hmm. it's not maybe that much of a concern as it is in like retail or something. Yeah, but you know,
1: where everybody touches everything, you know, so even though. Yeah. I mean, you know, you worry that if one person comes down with it, they've touched something and that goes on to somebody else. But like I said, counting our blessings were really, and she's been a trooper. I mean, she's been working from home. She's been calling doctors and booking cases and answering questions. And, you know, she hasn't been down one second, to be honest, maybe two days, I would say that she really felt bad. But other than that, she's a trooper. Here's to you, Kristen.
0: Cheers to her. (laughs) Absolutely. How do you book a case from home? How do you do that? They
1: got her set up on uh, LabTrack at home and um, had IT work with that. And and she's been up and running. They fax her invoices. She books them. And then it's in the system. And then we make the copies and we put them on the cases. Nah, it's been pretty challenging, but um, we made it two weeks without her. That's a long time.
0: That is some dedication for you. If you're going to use <laughs> LabTrack... From home. That's dedication. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. How are you in your world? You doing all right? Doing real good. I mean, the lab's chugging along. I think we've definitely plateaued. I think we got so used to getting busy so fast. It seems slow, but the numbers don't show it. It just seems it because it was just like full steam ahead for like a month. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. I mean, usually we're slow this time of the year because of school going back, but... You know schools aren't really going back, but they are it's 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 weird, it's different, but we're busy. so that's a good thing. yep ditto. What is the school system in uh, Florida? Are your kids in school or start back on the twenty fourth so they delayed it a week. My son's
1: specific school they're doing the parents' choice on whether to do virtual and keep your son or daughter at home. Or you can go to campus and they're doing like two days on, two days off so that they're not all together. They, you know, they've got masks and everything to go. So he starts back on the 24th and we're going to send him. He really is missing the whole social sure. kind of friends, seeing people. I mean, geez, it's been what, since March that they haven't been in school. So he's actually ready to go, which is pretty impressive because he's normally is, you know, kind of the kind of kid that doesn't really like school. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anybody like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that. I totally get that. I mean, our kids have started. They're on their second week of complete e-learning at Ooh. home, and yeah. it's uh it's different, but they seem to be doing pretty well. Good. So we'll see. All right. All right. So let's get back to dental, shall we? Sure will. You know, we always use a ton of zirconia in all of our labs. It probably makes up a majority of the crowns that are made at most labs. I think here we probably, it's probably at least 80% of what yeah, we do. Yeah, same here. Easy. Mm-hmm. Until we had this conversation, I really didn't know what zirconia was. <laughs> I mean, if you asked me what zirconia was, I'd tell you it's just a dental material, and that's about as far as I could go <laughs> with it. But do you even know really what it is? Well, it's time to get your nerd on, because we're excited to have on the podcast the R&D scientist from Oregon, Paul Cascone. Paul comes on to talk about how he became an expert in dental alloys and then eventually became an expert in zirconia. He also does his best to explain in layman's terms, which is what I need to understand, (laughs) how zirconia gets from the ground to the pucks that we all mill on all day long. I mean, did you even know before we talked to him, Barb, that it comes out of the ground radioactive?
1: I knew it came out of the ground, but not necessarily radioactive. That's a no on my part.
0: That's just some crazy stuff there. I, I had no idea. But Paul's here to make us all a little smarter about this very common material in our industry. So sit back and let's learn all about dental materials with Paul Cascone, the Science Guy. Few things create more interest today than the digital denture. Whipmix has developed a processing system for printed dentures, which uses Dentca, the first 3D printed denture and denture teeth resins to ever receive the FDA clearance. Their physical properties and biocompatibility pass FDA requirements and enable the printed denture properties to be very similar to conventional dentures. The material Coupled with fast and easy 3D printing with Asiga printers, and the convenience of curing with a UVtron UV light, results in fewer densest visits, predictable fit, reprintable data files, lower cost, and excellent intraoral denture performance. The Denka material, available from Whitmix, includes an ivory color try-in material, tooth-shaded materials, and Vita shades A1, A2, A3, A3.5, B1, and B2, and denture-based materials in original pink, light pink, reddish pink, and dark pink shades. To learn how to create your own digital denture, check out witmix.com for their digital denture courses and for more information about the system. Thanks for your continued support of the podcast, Witmix. voices from the bench the interview we are excited to have with us today a gentleman that i know i've seen speak oh gosh at least a half a dozen times over the years the man that knows everything about everything we welcome paul cascone am i saying that right Yes, sir. Oh my God, he's saying that right. Congratulations. (laughs) We're welcoming Paul Cascone to the podcast from Oregon. How are you today, sir? Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Like I mentioned, I've seen you speak so many times, and I'll never forget the first time I learned that zirconia is so much more than what I thought it was. It's unbelievable the different types and where it comes from. So, before we get into that, I'd like to kind of find out how you got into the industry. Were you a dental technician? No, actually, when I went to uh,
2: university, I uh, signed up as an aeronautical engineer. Wow. And after a year and a half, they told me, don't come back anymore. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so- and why was that, if I don't so- mind asking? <laughs> you were too smart for them?
2: I failed everything. (laughs) Really? I
1: thought you were going to say you're too smart. I came from a
2: a small high school. We only had 36 people in my class. And I went to New York University. There were 200 people in the class. Oh,
0: jeez. I bet you that was a culture shock for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
2: So I did everything. I I joined a fraternity. I joined ROTC in those days. They had ROTC. Yeah. And I paid attention to more social skills than, uh, than I did to my studies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I did not do well in the studies, and they said uh, goodbye. Yeah. Anyway, so I went back and begged. Uh-huh. And they said, well, in those days, they were very smart. They gave you a course in every type of engineering. And they said, okay, let's see what you did well in, mm-hmm. in your first year. And aeronautics, they said, well, we know you're not good for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <Pass. laughs> chemistry, I got a B, which was good. Yeah. And then at the time, they gave me a course in metallurgy. And metallurgy, I aced. Really? And they said, well, maybe this is what you should look at. So they required that I go back to the the head of the department and see if they would accept me. Hmm. And I had to do a variety of other things as well. I had to reduce my my course load. I had to take uh, summer school. I had to take night school. Anyway, so I did everything. And uh, and sure enough, the metallurgical department did take me. And I went from being asked to leave to the dean's list. Wow. Oh,
0: there you go. That's a great story.
2: I found my niche Mm -hmm. and I graduated. I was very fortunate. I got involved with a uh, consulting company. So we did a wide variety of of projects and very fortunate to get right out of school into a consulting company. Hmm. And then my thesis advisor from New York University called me about three years later and he said, the Jalenko company is interested in expanding their research department. Are you interested in joining? So I joined them. And that's how I got into dental. Mm. And at the time they wanted a candidate that would be willing to go for a degree in ceramic engineering because they wanted to develop their own porcelain. Oh, so wow. I raised my hand. I said, Sure, that that would be great. So I got a degree in ceramic engineering from Rutgers University. So ceramics and metallurgy. For a while I did mostly metallurgy and a little bit of ceramics. And then now come two thousand four We saw the introduction of zirconia into the dental industry. So I got to use my ceramic engineering degree.
0: Awesome. We'd built a facility in Oregon, and we've been moving since then. Did they even mention dental alloys in college in your courses? Was that even a thing? Well, in my particular case... Not until my senior year,
2: actually to my junior year, because my thesis advisor was a consultant to the Jelenko company. Oh, okay. Wow. So he was deeply involved with outlay development at Jelenko during those times. But it was interesting. He wanted me to do a particular thesis, and it was a mathematical analysis of experimental design. And... I said, okay. By that time, he was no longer the head of the department. Mm -hmm. I went to the head of the department and I said, the thesis advisor wants me to do this study, but it's on mathematics and it's not metallurgy. And he said, okay, come back to me in two days and tell me what kind of project you would like to do. (laughs) So I was working at that consulting company part-time at the time, and they had worked on powdered metallurgy. So I came back with a thesis on powdered metallurgy. So the head of the department said, okay, fine, you can do that, but you also have to do the other thesis as well. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> wow. Nice. So
2: that taught me not to ask too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but the interesting thing about that was that that mathematical analysis turned into computer modeling. Huh. So I was doing computer modeling. When people had no computers, uh, we had this UNIVAC at uh, New York University. And it was a brilliant thing to, to get involved with. I was very fortunate that, that my thesis advisor was really ahead of his time. And one of the first applications I did for the Jelenko was mm-hmm. uh, Midas and then Olympia. And those alloys were all done on computer modeling. And we continue to do that on the ceramics. So it's a it's a very fortunate circumstance.
1: Help me understand computer modeling, if you don't mind my ignorance.
2: Well, uh, there are d- different ways of doing things. For example, you want to test what happens when you put component A with component B.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you have a the simple way of doing it is just buy component A, buy component B, put them together, and test it out. So you do a and physical back up. One. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And back up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Or you describe what component A looks like to a computer. You have it mathematically. Okay. And then you could describe what component B uh, looks like to the computer mathematically. And then you look for interactions. And one way of doing that is to look for things that don't work. If you look for things that don't work, then that narrows the area of things that could work. Hmm. So you advance the experimental design rapidly. Hmm. So you eliminate areas of experimentation and that leads you to
1: developments faster. Awesome. Thank you for that explanation. That makes me completely understand it better now.
0: Good. Alloys today compared to when you were started with Jalenko, has much changed? Well, one of the things that changed
2: I'll give you an example. Yeah. It took over two years to develop the Alloy Olympia. Mm -hmm. When we brought out the Alloy Olympia, it has 52% gold in it. A few months after that, the British government changed their support program for their prosthetic materials, and they limited the gold content to 45%. So anything up to 45%, they would pay for. Anything over 45%, they wouldn't pay for. Interesting. So we had to develop another alloy. Because I had everything in the computer, I was able to go back using the mathematical equations and put in, okay, maximum gold of 45%. And in two weeks, we had an alloy that performed almost as well as the Olympia alloy
0: that we could sell in Great Britain. Wow! Just because the computer was able to figure out correct. quickly what you would replace that lost percentage of gold, correct, and still not affect its the functional properties of the else, the properties. Properties. Right. interesting. So are they still building upon that same formula today? Yeah, that's
1: what I was going to ask. Thanks. Uh,
0: well,
2: uh, as a matter of fact, it's Argent forty five, and in Britain it was an alloy. They they've since changed. They went to all palladium, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe now they're going to go back to gold. I don't know whether the price of palladium higher than the price of gold.
1: Wow. So let's talk about zirconia. Okay. I've heard that you're an expert in the industry, so I'm super psyched about that topic.
2: It's a very interesting material. Zirconia is a very unique ceramic. It was introduced, as you know, in 2004 by Den Supply, and it was introduced as a replacement for the alloy. It came out from dense supply. I thought it was glide. I thought it was glide started. I don't know. No, what? Uh, the original one was dense supply. Huh.
0: Interesting.
2: And they developed a material that the original one was still called Sircon. Huh. Hmm. And they were just replacing the alloy portion of a porcelain- fused metal. So now you had porcelain-fused zirconia. It was a coping stone. The coping, right? Coping or fumble. Okay. I remember remember that. that.
1: We're aging ourselves.
2: That was a very white (laughs) material. That was a very white material. It was like a chalk white. A lot of people started using that, but it was a a difficult material to use with the porcelain. I mean, a number of companies developed porcelains to go on top of the zirconia, Mm -hmm. and you could layer it or you could press it. And the issue with it was really chipping. When you look at the clinical results, there was a significant amount of chipping of the porcelain off the zirconia. Yeah,
3: yeah, I remember that. And
2: the reason for that is that the porcelain doesn't really adhere to the zirconia the same way the porcelain would adhere to the metal.
1: Yeah, there's no chemical bond, is there?
2: There's a very, very little chemical bond. It's really a wedding bond. Okay,
1: but it's not as strong as the regular
2: porcelain fused to metal. <laughs> so a number of companies were looking at how to take this chalk white material and develop it into a monolithic material. And Glidewell was one of the first ones to introduce it. There were a couple of others. Mm-hmm.
0: And we don't look back,
2: right? <laughs> yeah, right. <no. laughs>
0: Maybe break it down. What exactly is zirconia? I've heard it described as something that's been, you know, mined. I've heard it described as something that is a offshoot of metal. It's still in the metal periodic table, I believe. What exactly is it?
2: Okay, so zirconia is an oxide Hmm. between the metal zirconium and oxygen. Like alumina is an oxide between the metal aluminum and oxygen.
1: I don't mean to interrupt you. Are you telling me Elvis is right? (laughs) (laughs) man. So he he does have a little bit of that, because I was thinking my head was spinning around going, really? And that's true, huh? Wow. Well, it's an oxide... Uh, behaves differently than
2: the components okay okay Okay. the oxide will not behave like zirconium the metal nor will it behave like oxygen okay Mm. so it's a it's a combination and it becomes a new entity basically the material itself the zirconium material itself comes from a mine product called zircon zircon was one of the first minerals formed in the earth's crust back three and a half
0: billion years ago. So it's deep, huh? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's deep. And it's very deep. That's a very good way of saying it because it still has radioactive components in it.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) So
2: so it has to be cleaned. The radioactive components have to be taken out of it before we can use it for a dental restorative material. Then the zirconia itself is almost useless. The material itself was developed in in the early 70s and it was found to dissociate. It, it really destroyed itself upon cooling. So zirconia, if you consider water, for example, as an, an analogous system, water has three phases to it. The gas phase that we call steam, mm-hmm. the liquid phase that we call water, regular, regular water, and then the solid phase that we call ice. Now, zirconia also has three phases a high-temperature phase called cubic zirconia. That, mm. That's what you see with rings and, you know, uh, yeah. replacement the diamonds. Okay. Yeah. And then it has this very strong phase. Is the, the name of the crystal structure happens to be tetragonal. So it sounds funny, but it, it's just another phase, okay? But it's a okay. strong phase. Okay. And then it has a lower-temperature form called monoclinic. Mm. Now, when you take your water and you put it in your ice cube tray and you put it in your freezer, when you take it out of the freezer, you notice that the ice cubes are larger than the size of, of the ice cube tray. Yeah, that, yeah, and the water it's was in, a right? Sure. Right. So what happens is, as it changes phase, going from liquid to solid, it increases in volume. The same okay. thing happens to zirconia when it goes from tetragonal to monoclinic. So it always wants to go down to that monoclinic form because that's the more stable form at room temperature. Mm. So because it has this volume expansion, it actually rips itself apart. Now, one of the discoveries in the, in the 70s was that you can stabilize zirconia. You can stabilize that tetragonal phase. You could, you could keep that phase all the way down to room temperature mm. if you add another component to it. And the first material that they added to it happens to be magnesia, which is an oxide. It is a mixture of Mm -hmm. magnesium and and oxygen. If you put enough magnesia into the zirconia, what will happen is it will keep that tetragonal form. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the first references you see in a lot of the marketing materials that were distributed back in the mid-2000s. There was an article called Ceramic Steel. And that was the mixture that they were talking about, magnesia. Now, oh, they wow. found another material called ceria, and that's a mixture between cerium and oxygen. And the ceria material behaved very similar to the magnesium material, and that stabilized the tetragonal form as well. And then they found yttria. Oh, wow. They put yttria in with the zirconia, and bingo, not only did it stabilize the tetragonal form, but the strength went up tremendously. Hmm. And now you can use this as a structural material. The magnesia, you couldn't use as a structural material because it develops holes in it hmm. and, and mm-hmm. the strength is low. And the syria has a very low strength. It's barely like five, 600 megapascals hmm. in flexural strength. Yeah. But with the yttria one, the yttria one went, wow, you can do 1,000 megapascals with this. This is fantastic. Now you can make it as a, as a structural material. And one of the first applications they used in the, in the medical field was for femur hip joint replacements, hmm. and the ball was made out of Ytrium. three mole percent yttria, yttrid yeah. stabilizer zirconia. Okay, cool. yep, and that worked fantastically for a number of years, and then they started having some problems. It actually was only one lot from one company. But it was a very big company, and they sold a lot of these. And they tried to speed up the sintering. Mm, We know what that does. (laughs) Yeah, we know what that (laughs)
3: does. (laughs) And it's heavy chalk.
2: And unfortunately, the materials were starting to crack. Oh, and sure. it it cracked because it wasn't stable, and it, what was happening was that the body fluids were actually getting forced into the zirconia.
3: Mm.
2: The ceramics have a very poor grain to grain adhesion, sure, and when water gets pushed in there it, it easily falls apart, so it was transforming back to this monoclinic form, which meant the volume went up, which means the whole thing just lost all of its physical strength. And things being things, the use of that went down tremendously. They tried to find a way to fix that problem. And they found one way. They introduced alumina into the composition. Only about a quarter percent of alumina. And when you put that much of alumina into the composition, then you eliminated the problem. And the reason for that is that the alumina sits in the grain boundaries and prevents the water from going in. So it acts like a little plug. And that was fantastic. And that's what the first zircon material was. Hmm. It was the uterus stabilizer zirconia with a little bit of alumina. The alumina, however, because it was sitting in the grain boundaries all by itself, was, refracti- was refracting the light. So it made it all white. So for a long time, when that was introduced, in order to make a monolithic material, you had to do one of two things. You had to either eliminate the alumina and take a chance that this would not happen in the dental area right or you had to find a way of reducing the alumina until you can keep the translucency of the zirconia without sacrificing the aging that's called an aging property with the aging property and some companies went forward without the alumina and that's what we saw as the first monolithic zirconias that were introduced. The first ones that were introduced did not have any of the alumina in it, but they were translucent enough for fabrication into dental prosthesis. Mm-hmm. Other companies waited until we were able to develop a way of introducing the alumina at a minimal content. And that way you still kept the aging properties and you retained the translucency. That took a couple of years. But as I said, some companies waited and, and others did. Hmm. Awesome, interesting. So where are we now? Well, in the industry. So anytime you have a material replacement, for example, back in 1960, we had a material replacement with porous fused metal as to uh, overfill cast. Whenever you have a material replacement, there's always going to be like one material that dominates for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and then you start seeing a broad range of products being developed afterwards people that are trying to improve the aesthetics people that are trying to improve the strength people that are trying to improve the functionality of the material right reducing yeah. reduce, okay we saw that in the pfms and in every industry where there's been a material replacement you could demonstrate that you have one material that stays there for a while and then other people develop products that, are, that have some feature that the first one didn't. Yeah. So that's what we're working with now in the, in the dental field. Nice. So we first saw the introduction of monolithic. We then saw the introduction of monolithic that had a very, very high translucency, but we sacrificed strength. Wow. And those were like the interior products. Mm-hmm. And that material, frankly, a lot of people felt that that, that was going to be the dominant <clears throat> material because it, it competed very well aesthetically against uh, Emacs, mm-hmm. but it had a lower strength, so you couldn't do it long-span bridges with it. <laughs> yeah. And what we found was that the industry did not accept that, even though like 80% of the restorations are single units, and that material was fine for single units. That was not to be because the laboratories would prefer to have a single product they could do everything with, as opposed to one or two products where they have to do something special.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Reserve it for particular indications of use. Now, that material is still like 10% of the market. But as I said, a lot of people expect it to be a lot bigger. (laughs) So we're developing materials that are different from what we had before. And each one is meant to address a certain area. For example, the uh, pre-shaded materials. So instead of taking the white material and then using liquids in order to make the shade, it comes pre-shaded. The advantage to that is that you don't have to worry about coloration of the pontics. When you take Mm -hmm. a material, a porous material, and put it in the liquid, it's going to soak up the liquid. And obviously, because the the pontic is larger, uh, it's going to soak up more liquid so that you don't get a uniform shade. Hmm. So pre-shaded materials eliminate that problem. And now you have a, the same color on the abutment as you do on the pontic.
0: How are the pucks pre-shaded? I mean, how do you get that shade into your puck? Yeah, right. So whether you do it with a liquid or whether you do it as pre-shaded,
2: all of the coloration is due to mostly transition elements, what are called transition elements, iron, chrome, manganese, some of the lanthanides like erbium, Mm. and each one will produce its own color. Yellow is produced mostly by iron, Mm. and what happens is that you introduce into the zirconia uh, iron oxide, and you can't tell before 1,000 degrees when the iron is there. However, over uh, about 1,100 degrees, what happens is the iron will get absorbed into the zirconia crystal. Mm-hmm. It actually replaces, now, now we're talking about the atom, right? Talking about the atom. It actually mm-hmm. replaces the zirconium on the oxygen lattice. Wow. Iron has a feature to it where it has what are called emptied electron shells. And that means that the electron can go up in energy if, if you just shine light on it. And then when you do shine light on it, It absorbs that energy, and then it reflects back another photon, and the photon happens to be in the yellow area. Hmm. If you do the same thing with chromium, you could get red. If you do it with manganese, you could get gray. So you mix these materials into whatever desired shade you want, and that's how the color gets generated. It's really a very sophisticated <laughs> result for a very simple operation.
0: Yeah, you better be pretty spot on on your atoms of each one of those to make sure you get those shades right.
1: That's right. I and mean, there's, there's
0: no there's room
1: for error. Wow, well, <laughs> look at how long it's taken the companies to get the shades right. If you don't mind my saying, I mean, it's it's been. If you're a laboratory and you use zirconia, you know how far off the scale originally i'm talking like five six seven years ago you know those colors were they weren't that great and you had to really figure out what you were going to do you usually want a shade lighter you know the d shades is just uh it was a nightmare so I, I understand now and thank you for that it's pretty uh pretty awesome it's still a question as to whether a company's
2: understanding of a2 is going to be the same as their client's understanding Mm of A2. Yeah. Oh, sure. And then it goes to the dentist. Considering that 10% of the male dentists are colorblind, it's sometimes difficult to get across what the shade is. I mean, this is nothing new. You've had this since we've had dental porcelain. So if you have to come out with... It's my turn. Okay, go
1: for it. All right. So I got to ask a question about the multi-layer zirconia. So... In my mind, I can kind of think of how it's done, but can you kind of share with me how the multi layers are done? Okay, so instead of adding the, the coloring
2: oxides in one blend, mm-hmm. you add it in layers. So you have a gingival layer that has more oxides than the incisal layer. Interesting. How do you keep
0: it from spreading through the whole thing?
1: Ah, uh, good question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Magic? No. <laughs> I can't answer that. <laughs>
2: That is a subject of a number of intellectual property patent rights.
0: I get it. And if you told me, I don't think I'd understand it anyway. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well, it a, a lot of companies are very jealous about that. And yeah. they have a variety of ways of addressing it. Okay. But you wind up with the same thing, basically. You wind up with, I mean, the company has to make certain decisions with regard to how the layers are put down mm-hmm. and what the layer thickness is going to be. You see the early multilayers may not have been as transitional as you would like.
0: Oh, yeah. You're very defined.
2: Yeah. There's a variety of reasons for that from a production side. And again, there's a lot of patents uh, around how to accomplish that, how to get the coloring elements into the zirconia. There's a variety of different ways of doing that. At the end of the day, you really want to wind up with a transitional blend. Mm-hmm. And the hard part with the multilayers, is not so much for single layers. So like we get 14 millimeter or 16 millimeter. Those are relatively easy to do. Certainly 10 or 12 are very easy to do because you're only doing molars and those. But when you get to the larger ones where you want to put a bridge, now, you know, you have a your central is, how big is your bridge? You know, you want to do all on four. You have a molar and you have a central. I mean, how are you going to get both of those uh, to have an incisal edge and still a good gingival color?
1: Right. You know, and that's a challenge. That's
2: a I challenge. Bet, yeah. and, and that's where the development is right now to improve that technology. Yeah. So where do you come into
1: that? So are you like an R&D? I'm
2: strictly R&D. And I look at materials. I look at how the materials are going to react. I look at the colors, how to blend the colors, hmm. how to blend the colors to get
1: certain effects. Wow. That's my job. So you're the genius. Genius. Genius being materials.
0: How many units do you fire a day that or just testing. Yeah, I bet you go through a ton of zirconia trying to get stuff right. Yeah, you know,
2: so so our particular development program involves a lot of evaluation. Mhm. We have a, a dental technicians that evaluate the material. We don't leave the decisions of what it looks like up to the engineers because we would just go by numbers. I mean that's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's for sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has to be tempered. Our numbers and our little math equations have to be tempered by uh, reality mm-hmm. and what a dental technician is going to look for, what a dental technician is going to expect. And in our particular facility, we have that. We work very closely. Uh, we work together. We're on, we're on the same team. Yeah. We'll start off with a particular shade, start off with a particular layer of percentages <laughs> and make the units, send them to we, – we have two facilities – uh, send them to our facility for evaluation. They would mill them out, center them, and then evaluate them compared to the shade guide and then compared to other competitors' products uh and then make recommendations as to how we can change this layer, that layer, whatever.
0: I bet you you go through a ton of units trying to figure that stuff out
2: it's It's a little more than a ton, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: so I've had a question so in the past, there was these thirteen hour programs, twelve hour programs. What is the difference between a long program and a fast program? Is it the zirconia itself? Is it an additive? What makes it a faster program? Is it the oven?
2: Actually, it's the expectations of what you're looking for. Hmm. So we have some people that like to do zirconia really, really fast. So uh, they'll take an A3 and they'll center it really fast and uh, it'll look like an A2. Hmm. Because it takes some time for the color to develop. What we're talking about is, are you getting the materials centered? And that's just time and temperature. Yeah. You can go really fast and wind up with something that looks okay. Mm -hmm. But it really depends upon what you're looking for. With zirconia, it's the color that you really, it's the shade and the coloration that you're really changing. When you do a, a fast cycle, hmm. and if you're happy with those results, then that's fine. Some people are, some people aren't. It, it, you know, we have we have uh, we have as many opinions as there
0: are dental technicians and dentists. Oh God, yes. Oh sure, that's for sure. Yes. How does it get into the puck form? I've always been curious. Is it any sort of pre centering to get to that state? Yes, there's two basic ways of doing it. In most cases now.
2: Now I would say like ninety percent of the mm-hmm. the powder, the zirconia powder is mixed with a plastic binder. Then that powder gets compressed in a hydraulic press, and at that point you're really not compressing the powder as much as you're compressing the plastic. Hmm. Okay. That makes it deform. Okay, so now you have a now you have a disc. Now in in our case we take that disc, we put it in a vacuum seal bag, and put it into another press called an isostatic press. When you press it hydraulically, you're only pressing it in two dimensions, in two directions, up and down. Yeah. That leaves some variation in density from top to bottom, left to right. So we put it into another press called an isostatic press. This puts it in like a baggy form that's vacuum sealed so no water gets into it. Mm -hmm. And then we compress, that, that gets filled with oil and water mixture and we press the oil and water mixture. Mm. Now, when you press on a liquid, it's incompressible. So what the result is that all three dimensions now are getting pressure, and that makes the disc more uniform in density. And you want to have a disc that's uniform in density so that you have a uniform milling, and of course, you never know where the pontic is going to be on a bridge. And you want to sure. make sure that, that that is going to be of the same density as as the abutment. Is. Wow. Now you're left with a uniform disc, a uniform density disc, but it still has that plastic in it. You have to get rid of the plastic. So that goes into another heating process. And again, it depends upon what company it is. Hmm. In our case, we have a very refined procedure. for heating it. We pass air through it. And it goes through a catalytic converter as well. So we we do two things. Number one, we make sure that the plastic burns out in a uniform manner, very slowly. Mm -hmm. Remember when you used to stack porcelain, if you heated it too fast, you'd get these little blow holes. What happened there is that the water turned to steam and the steam blew through the porcelain. In this case, what can happen is the the binder, because it's plastic, it's going to dissociate. It turns into nitrogen and water vapor. You could get the same effect if you go too fast. And we we try and prevent that from happening. And then it stays in the, the, it's called a kiln, K-I-L-N. And it stays in the kiln for about three days. Really? Wow. Everything with zirconia has to be slow. Hmm. You have to take it out. You have to remove the binder slowly. That pre-sintering operation has to be slow. Because you want to have the, number one, there can't be any binder left in there. And number two, well, as an aside, because we live in California, we're, we're concerned about what goes up the stack. Yeah. And our process is so clean, we actually got a buy from the Air quality board. Mm. We got a gold star. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's not, which, which is, which is nice. Which is nice. Yeah. But the benefit to the Zirconia Puck is that it's much more uniform. You have less issues of hard spots, and it just produces a, a little better disc. And in some of our cases, uh, some people think that our material is a little soft, and we, we purposely make it softer so that it's easier to mill. Okay. How do you make it softer? Well, it depends on how long you want to keep it in the oven and, and what temperature you go to.
0: Okay. So when you guys receive the zirconia, what is it, in just boxes of powder? Yes. Wow.
2: In our case, we actually reserve factory
0: that fabricates the powder. Oh, wow. So they mine it, they add the oxygen level, and then you guys receive it, and then you make it into pucks there at Argon. In our case, we actually take the
2: zirconia, which is just just that one ceramic. Yeah. And we add the yttria to it when it's still in the. Uh, in order, let, let me go back a minute. In in order to get those radioactive elements out and some some other garbage. Mm-hmm. We have to put it in an acid bath. Oh, we actually add the yttria in that stage, and when you do that, you get a, a very intimate relationship between the yttria and the zirconia, and it produces a better translucency level. Hmm. So you could have the same composition and process it a little differently, and you get a very
1: different result. Wow, man, interesting! I am sure our listeners are amazed.
0: For something that, in our industry, has become known as you know the lesser price restoration and the one we can do the fastest, this sure is a long process. That seems like it's hard. And it's come a long way. Well, it
2: it is from the manufacturing side. Yeah, and you know, I mean, different people could take different take different approaches. You can simp- sure you can simply buy stuff that that other you know other companies are making from the powder standpoint. Okay, mm. there are standard powders that are available. One way is just to to buy the material from the companies that produce the zirconia and just do the fabrication. Uh, A lot of companies are doing that. Hmm. We just take it a
0: step further. Does all the zirconia come from pretty much one central mine?
2: Well, in the case of dental zirconia, I believe the answer is yes. Yeah. Now, zirconia is found on on every continent. Okay, okay. And that goes back to the fact that it was, it was one of the first minerals that were formed back three and a half billion years ago. Sure. Now you have to be concerned about how economical the mine is. There's, there's one particular mine in uh, Western Australia that has a significant amount of zirconia in it. And uh, it's an open pit mine, so it's easy to get to. And mm. there's there's literally nothing there. It's, it's a very barren area of Western Australia. Western Australia is a very important geological area because it's been the area that's been least touched by erosion.
0: Oh, interesting. Huh.
2: And you could find zircon crystals there. In the case of the zircon itself, the, the original source mineral, there's two radioactive materials in there, uh, urania and thoria. And both of those have different half-lives. So because both are present in the same crystal, it makes a great atomic clock. It's very important for for geologists to to know exactly what time period it was formed.
1: And you could do that by just looking at the zircon crystal.
0: Wow. Wow. Interesting.
1: So what's new? Is there anything coming out that hasn't already come out? Can you give us a little bit of a hint?
2: Oh, I think what we're seeing is we're still just in the beginning portions of the material development. Mm Mm-hmm. We have a variety of different multi-layer is right now very very popular,
3: mm. and
2: uh, and a strong multi-layer is desired. Yeah. We have a couple of companies that that have put some material out, and that is probably right now the, the the major focus. We're in a development stage right now on a new product, and we're into alpha. We do alpha testing and then beta testing. Mm-hmm. So not only do we rely upon our dental technicians, but we would send it out to you know, like KOLs to, to look at and evaluate uh, so that they can give us feedback. And, you know, it's always better to have more eyes looking on it, uh, looking on anything so that, so that you, because people see things that you don't.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And at the same time, I'm, I'm working on the next generation.
1: Wow. That's gotta be so fascinating.
0: I love it. What are your speculations on getting more strength and more translucency out of this product? Do you think there's ways to do that or have we reached pretty much a limit?
2: No, I think in some cases that's like nirvana, right? So you, you, want, you want something that's going to be strong enough to use for an all-on-four mm-hmm. and still have the aesthetics of something like Emacs. Right. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we are. We're, we're reaching for the stars and that, that's our goal.
0: Does Anton come in every day and ask you where it is?
1: Where is it? <laughs> we can't record that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a double negative saying that something's stronger with more translucency? I was always told the more translucency, the less strength. So how do you do that? Yes. Yeah, so when you look at how things were
2: introduced into the marketplace, mm-hmm. that's an easy thing to come to. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, fine. Uh, here I have this zirconia it has 5% yttria in it. And that's called 3 mole 3-y percent, 3-y. Yeah. And that's very strong, but it's not very good looking. Okay? Now, the next thing that got introduced is this 5-y material that has 9% yttria. Uh, And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's translucent. It's so translucent. I can't use it on some cases, right? Yeah. But it has very poor strength. Okay. So if you only have those two to look at, then you're going to come to the conclusion that yeah, well, okay, I have to sacrifice the strength in order to get the translucency. But that's not necessarily true. You have to look at different materials, like in our case, our HT plus material. It has a mid range of translucency. And, and still a higher strength than the 3Y material. So so it's more translucent, higher strength. That sort of obviates that idea hmm. that you need to sacrifice strength in order to get to translucency. <laughs> okay. We're going to see more materials being developed. I mean, there's uh, quite a number of companies now that are interested in actually uh, developing materials as opposed to just selling product. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think we're just in the beginning stages
0: right now. Really? You still think there's a lot of area for growth with this material
2: oh yes most definitely most definitely making it easier for the dental technician to use making it the goal is to to maintain a sufficient amount of strength and and still keep the aesthetics yeah that's the ultimate goal Mm -hmm. Uh, but making it easier to use
0: is also very important for the burrs and stuff is that what you mean
2: well not only that the material itself when it comes out of the oven is, is still somewhat fragile sure and trying to make that more robust. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Making
1: it more robust. Do you guys still recommend, um, as you always have, not discing the interproximals, not um, using high speeds? Has that changed along the way? No,
2: that's part of the uh, material itself. We're still at a stage with the uterus-stabilized zirconia mm-hmm. where a little bit of energy input into it mm-hmm. will will fracture it. Yeah. And we still see that problem in the operatory where a dentist tries to adjust a a contact mm-hmm. with a, without any water. Yeah. And they, they hit it with a burr, and bingo, it'll just a crack in half.
1: Yeah.
0: I haven't seen that. Have you, Elvis? No. Never. I remember zirconia being unbreakable, and to this day, I've never had one break. It's amazing.
1: I got to tell you guys a funny story. <laughs> when it first came out and we got zirconia at night here and we started milling it, I had no idea. I was super green, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And I thought you could do anything with it. And it was seven o'clock at night and I had a rush crown. I had to get it out to UPS. So I took it out of the oven, pretty hot, I will have to say, and I put water on it. And that crown cracked in half and I was so... Amazed. I'm like, damn, I thought you could do anything with this. It was just like gold. So I can cool it down fast. And there's my ignorance for you. And I, I have to say that I admit it. I haven't done it since. But yeah, I had to redo it. Didn't make the case. Patient was upset. And I uh, learned a good lesson. Your thought pattern was <laughs> framed based upon
2: the type of marketing that was done,
0: right? Oh, the hammer. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm not going there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's just say, based upon the marketing that was done, <laughs> it was it, it appeared as though this stuff was unbreakable. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, reality steps in, and the material has certain restrictions.
3: Yeah. Sure.
2: When it was first introduced as zircon, or the substitute for PFM uh, metal, mm-hmm. the material was said, oh, you could do a, a feather-edge margin. Right. And you oh, yeah. could... <laughs> you could on that product <laughs> but when it came to monolithic yeah. you can't nope yeah so you know it, it it took a while for for Dr. Christensen to release a, a piece of paper saying that don't do that you know but but he did he did last year so
0: just last year <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: wow <laughs> i didn't realize crazy. it took him so long i didn't either because we've been telling dentists no feather edges on zirconias for a long time.
1: Yeah, that's
2: right. That's right. But when they look at the literature, and this is the biggest problem we have, there's a big disconnect between the material knowledge of the dental lab and the material knowledge of the dentist. We've always had that as a problem. Mm-hmm. At least back prior to the 80s, we saw. In dental school, they had to make a casting, for example, okay? Sure. Uh, they had to have some understanding of the uh, of the materials, and they actually had a materials course. By the mid-80s, when they allowed dentists to start to advertise, I think they took materials out and they put marketing in.
3: <laughs> yeah. So
2: their materials knowledge was very poor. And then they, with the introduction of Zirconia, it only it was only a few years ago, really, very few schools have picked up on the same type of material science. You have a, a paucity of information being produced by the universities now on, on zirconia, mm. which means the dental laboratory has to educate the dentist. Oh, yeah. Well, I,
0: uh, every day. Yeah. Absolutely, we do.
2: And as you know, that's very hard to do.
0: It is, but it also allows us to be a crucial member of the team.
2: Exactly. Exactly. We're dependent on you to make it work,
0: right? Yeah. 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 Well, Paul, this was some fascinating stuff. I had no idea a lot of this about zirconia. And uh, I knew when I reached out to you to come on this podcast, I knew it'd be fascinating. And I knew I would learn a lot. (laughs) And
1: you didn't know what you didn't know. So
0: there you have it. There you go. Well, I loved it too, Paul.
1: Thank you. I learned a lot. I learned that I'm still a little ignorant when it comes to some of these things. And I'm super glad that you came on so you can let everybody know uh, what's going on and how it's fabricated. And you answered a lot of my questions. So thank you.
0: Thank you. Yeah, we use a lot of your guys' HT Plus here in the lab. So I guess I should thank you. (laughs) I'm sure
2: you had a lot to do with that stuff. So we're a team. We're a big team and we we operate as a team. And that's what's important, uh, R&D and uh, product management. Aw, that was nice.
0: I agree. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Paul. We appreciate it. Okay, Elvis Forbes.
2: Thank you very much. Have a nice day. All right,
0: you too. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Dental Services Group is proud to support the National Board of Certification and Dental Technology and proudly promote certification for dental technicians throughout their national network of laboratories.
1: The CDT designation sets certified dental technicians apart from others in the field demonstrating a mastery of knowledge and applied skills in the art of dentistry.
0: Certification also raises the standards of dental health through education in all aspects of dental technology. At Dental Services Group, they believe Dentistry plays a significant role in the healthcare ecosystem and is committed to providing solutions to benefit the overall health and well-being of the patient. Visit NBCCERT to learn more about becoming a CDT. And dentalservices.net
1: to learn more about how DSG supports the dental community. And they support our podcast. So thank you, DSG. A big thanks to Paul for coming on our podcast. It's amazing how a material that is so cost-effective and easy to work with goes through so much before our laboratories get it. It's also good to hear that zirconia still has some room for improvement, and we are in what Paul calls the early stages of development, which is crazy, but exciting to think what will come next. Another big thank you to Argon for putting in the research to make the product better. All right, everybody.
0: That's all we got for you. Have a good week. Bye. See ya.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, please take that out. (laughs)